Five scores! Rick Bod. We've decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Bod. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome, everyone, to episode 115 of the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs Fan. Joining me, as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibes. Squid, how are we keeping? Oh, we're doing okay, Mike. Uh, no complaints. You know, That's life's it? good. We're, we're into March now. Yeah. Hopefully, we're, well, we're not going to start March very well because we're supposed to get uh, some freezing rain and snow today, tonight, and and part of tomorrow, but let's hope that that's kind of the end of it. And golf is around the corner. <laughs> See, now that's more like it. That's more like the spunk I like to hear come out of you yeah. to get these shows underway. So you got something to look forward to. Well, speaking of, which, our, speaking of which, our guest today, you're a bit familiar with. I think you do some legendary games with him. Uh, he was, you know, taken 33rd overall by the Montreal Canadiens in 1987 draft. Uh, he would spend most of his career at the Philadelphia Flyers with a stop also in Pittsburgh. Uh, he was the first American hockey player, but he also was the first Philadelphia Flyer to score, just like you, Squid, scored 50 goals three years in a row. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. How about that? You know, be playing on one of the most famous lines in hockey, the Legion of Doom, which we'll get into. I uh, represent his country at, internationally at the World Juniors, at the Olympics, and the Olympics I was at. Thank goodness they came in second place, which was which good for us. <laughs> <laughs> but all in all, a terrific hockey player, great guy all around too, guy you see a lot, uh, John McClare. John, first off, thanks for joining us, and how you doing? Hey, great. Thanks for having me, guys. Things are good. Can't complain. How are you uh, keeping yourself busy these days besides playing hockey with squid and guys? Uh, well, I do a little bit of that to keep uh, entertained, uh, get a chance to see some friends every now and then. It's always fun doing that. Uh, and then last summer I did uh, Three Ice. I don't know if you guys heard of it, but it was a professional league that um, was formed last summer. And uh, we're going to hit the hit the rail, hit the the rail, road this summer and, uh, and do it all over again. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Is that the three-on-three uh, thing? Yeah, that's that three-on-three professional league. Um, oh, okay. You know, last year. Um, it, it did pretty well for its uh, you know inaugural season. Um, I think they're really hoping to do a lot more marketing and get a lot more uh, butts in the seats for this year. Uh, but television-wise, uh, it was a success. Um, I mean, it wasn't on the major channels. It was only TSN 3 or 4, one of the, the lesser TSN networks. Uh, we were on CBS Sports here in the States, uh, and it was aired over in, in Europe. So um, uh, they got some exposure. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to help this year. We're going to be on Wednesday nights instead of Saturday afternoons at four. Saturday afternoon at four is a tough time to get somebody to sit down and watch TV. So hopefully Wednesday nights uh, we'll get a lot more viewers. And um, it was a terrific league. Um, It was made up of mostly East Coast and AHL players. um, And we wanted uh, those guys to really, you know, exhibit their talents that they have. So there was a lot of trick plays, a lot of things going on. Uh, we altered a few of the three-on-three loot rules that they use in overtime. Uh, like if the puck went in the netting, keep playing. Puck goes in the net, put it behind the net, keep going. Um, so it was it was a you know a mesh between 
playing shinny on the pond and and uh, you know a pro uh, three and three overtime. So how, how many? Uh, and now when is the season? Uh, we're going to start in June and we're going to run for eight weeks. And then the top four teams will meet in Vegas again this year uh, for the Patrick Cup, named after Craig Patrick, who's the commissioner of the league. And um, you know, last year the winning team, each individual guy took home over a hundred thousand dollars just on that one weekend. Oh, wow! So, uh, so where it's the, good money where for. Where do they play, John? Sorry to interrupt you, but I just tried. I I, I didn't know about this league. I'd, I'd like to know a little more. Where do you guys play? Yeah, that's that's the thing. Um, we 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 go from city to city, so we'll we'll have eight cities. We'll go to eight cities throughout the year, and we'll have an individual tournament uh, at each city. Uh, and what we did is this year will be four teams in each city, and you'll play and you get points through you know winning. If you win, you get four points or whatever it's going to be, and then. The four teams at the end of the year with the most points, they'll go to Vegas and play for the grand prize of it was over a million dollars to the winning team. So what are the Holy cow, I might make a comeback? Good. <laughs> but I'll be honest with you right now, you and I are not no. qualified for the league. No, uh, I, I know these yeah, we have some very, very talented players that play this league. I mean, you know, they might not be right for the the you know the NHL five on five, but you put them on open ice with uh, the speed and yeah. some that these guys have, um, you know, it, it was incredibly entertaining. The stuff that these guys were pulling off at full speed, it was, it was fun to watch. Now, is there a limit to how many goals? Remember when three and three first came out, players were limited to how many goals they could score maybe on a shift or during the game. And if they, if a guy, a guy can only score three goals and then what that would stop is a guy goal sucking and make him pass on like and move the puck around all the time. So it wasn't all one sided. We don't have that problem. No, I think everybody, they're all professionals here. And uh, they, you know, if some guys lighten it up, that's on them. They got to cover them. But uh, no, it's, um, you know, the, the, the rules are to keep the play moving and to, and yeah. to keep the, um, you know, the, the skill level is high and, and the entertainment value in there. Like uh, a lot of the penalty, like this is a penalty is a penalty shot, um, but it's a jailbreak guys can chase him. So he, he's not going to sit there and stop in front of the goal. Like some of these penalty shots you see now in the overtimes, um, you know, it's, there's guys on him. Uh, and then it's a live puck. If the goalie saves it, away you go. Now, what cities are you going to this year with the upcoming season? Oh, uh, well, they haven't confirmed the schedule yet. Uh, last year we went to um, Denver, uh, Hershey, Grand Rapids, Nashville, Pittsburgh, um, where else were we? Quebec City, uh, in Vegas. Interesting. Well, yeah. you can have anybody if anybody's interested, just go to threeice.com. Uh, a lot of information there. Um, all yep. the coaches are all the coaches except for me uh, are Hall of Famers. Um, we have Ray Borg, Pete Carbonell, Joey Mullen, um, who am I missing? Larry Murphy, uh, Grant Fior. And then um, this year we added well, – last year we were six teams. This year we're going to be uh, eight teams. So we added um, E.J. Johnson. Uh, his, E.J. Johnson Jr. is the one that created this league and put this all together. Um, and his dad's going to coach one of the teams. And then Craig Patrick's going to step in and coach uh, the other the eighth team. So uh, we're going to have eight teams. Um, like I said, we're going to have four teams in each city. They're going to compete. Uh, there's going to be a champion – crown in each city for that tournament and uh, those guys are playing for cash prizes uh, each each weekend that they go there so uh, it's a chance for some of these guys especially like east coast league guys um 
they can put some some decent coin in their pocket over the summer and um it uh you know from a fan perspective uh it's it's a very entertaining two hours uh they're gonna they love hockey they're gonna love this i might have to mention that my son john he's in the echl he's fourth in the league in goals and who knows maybe he'd like to get that a try i'm sure he's heard of it because i know a lot of those guys spread the word um our players had a terrific experience the players loved it The, the players thought it was great um, I mean, I, I think we 90% of the guys are, are back on their draft list for this year to come back. So, um, you know, it, like I said, player-wise, it was a huge success. Um, fan-wise, it was a success, and we just we're going to hope for a little more this this summer. Last question: How long are the games? Is there two games a day? If 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 a fan goes to a game, did he see two games or one? When the fan goes to the game, he'll see four games. So the games oh, are hurt. okay. Yeah. So what we play is we play two eight-minute periods. And the only time we want to drop the puck is to start the game and to start the second half. And that's that's the only time mm-hmm. we want to drop the puck. There's chances oh. when the puck goes out of bound, you know, goes out of the rank and things like that. There's, there's odd scenarios where we do have another face-off. But for the most part, just two face-offs. Um, you play, and if you win, you're going to play in the championship game. If you lose, you're going to play in the consolation game. So each team will play two games that night. And the fans there, they'll get to see four games, uh, and they roll quick. There's no whistles. We try to keep the whistles to a minimum. Uh, and it's just, you know, go, go, go. That sounds awesome. Oh, I never heard of it. That's, that's awesome. pretty cool. I, I, I heard of it, but I didn't really know all the details. But now that you've explained it, I think that would be fun to watch. I think, as you said, I mean, all these guys with speed and talent out there playing three-on-three, three, it's got to be pretty damn exciting at times. Yeah, I mean, uh, we had a, actually a guy from my team, Brandon Hawkins. He plays in Toledo for the East Coast. Yeah. And uh, he was on Sports Center. Uh, he had the player of the day. Uh, he had a breakaway. And this, you got to just Google Brandon Hawkins, uh, ESPN uh, Sports Center. And, um, you know, it was, it was phenomenal. It was great to see him on ESPN. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff that our league's promoting. And that's what kind of happens on a night out basis. Well, he plays for Toledo in, in my son's division, but he played with my son in Fort Wayne the year that Toledo and Cincinnati didn't go in and they won the Kelly cup together. So uh, they became pretty good buddies and uh, <laughs> it's kind of hard when they have to play Toledo for the, to see who finishes first in their damn division. But you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's the beauty of this. Like like I said, last, I would say majority, like you know, 50-60% of our guys are from the East Coast, but a lot has to do with that's just their they have more flexible contracts than some other guys. Um we had a good portion of AHL players and we had some ex NHL players actually played. Uh we had you know Ryan Malone played, um TJ Hensick had some NHL experience. We had some guys that had some NHL experience too. So um we really feel like the more this league gets out there and the more I'm not explaining it to people when I say three ice people know exactly what it is. Um, yeah. You'll get, uh, you'll get the guy that, you know, got out of the league still, you know, still in good shape, still feels like, you know, what, it's fun playing. I just want to be on the ice. Um, you know, we could get some of those guys coming down and playing too, I think. Well, I, that sounds awesome. Well, you, uh, John, uh, uh, hopefully you'll take this the right way, but every time we do a podcast, you'd like to learn something. I definitely learned something today right off the bat. I didn't know anything about this league, and I'm definitely going to look it up. And 
if I can get to a game, I'll definitely go and watch one for sure. That sounds great. Uh, we'd love that. Let me know. I think I can get you a ticket. <laughs> well, well, speaking of tickets, let's let's go back and uh, touch your memory. You were born in St. Albans, Vermont. You were close to the Canadian border. So there was some familiarity with hockey. But as I understand it, there really wasn't a lot of hockey going on where you grew up. How did you get involved in the game and take us through that period? Well, I don't think so. There was, hockey was pretty important in my town. Um, we're 10 miles from the border. I was an hour from yeah. Montreal. Um, my youth hockey, uh, we played in a league that we played Cowensville, Bedford. It was all Canadian teams. Okay. So our town was a hockey town. Uh, it was very important. Our high school team was really successful. Growing up as a kid, you went to the high school games. Um, so to me, hockey was instilled in me pretty early age. Uh, you know, it was it was something I wanted to do. It was something all the older kids in the neighborhood did. So to, if I wanted to play with them or I wanted to hang out with them, uh, you had to grab a stick and play street hockey. So um, to me, hockey was, I, I think in our town, was definitely the number one sport. Uh, it wasn't football or baseball at the time. Um, but it's got that other thing is that we're we're a New England town. Like Boston's kind of like where we feed from, not Montreal kind of thing. So um, yeah. it was tough for me as a kid. Um, Montreal, I had to watch Montreal every Saturday night, hockey night in Canada. Um, <laughs> but I'm a Bruins fan. And, of course, this is during the, you know, the 70s when uh, Montreal, like, lost three games in the 70s, maybe total. I mean, they, they won every Saturday night. So uh, every game I saw, I watched Montreal, you know, beat somebody. It was a little tough, especially when they're beating my Bruins up. <laughs> well, I guess I well, should have they, they, they only won five cups at, in the 70s. So, I mean, you know. Yeah. It felt like 12, to tell you the truth. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Well, because they kept beating Boston all the time, so that must have made it even more painful. The uh, so I guess I should have clarified that the game of hockey really didn't get really going until the '60s. Was when it really kind of took off, I guess, in Seattle. And you were born in '69, so you know yeah. it was really the growth of the game is really it's it's not surprising. So talk to us about playing at the high school level and just really how important that is. I mean, for a lot of listeners, don't appreciate how big high school hockey really is. Well, it was kind of all we had back then. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm getting on the older side now. And, you know, growing up, there was no these junior leagues and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, you, you played youth hockey. Once you were a Bantam, you either made the high school team or you uh, played um, like JV hockey, which was kind of a mixed bag of stuff. So, um, you know, high school was uh, the highest competition you were going to get when you were 16, 17, uh, where yep. I was. So, um, you know, it was something to look forward to. And, um, you know, I, I kind of fell into a lucky situation, though. Uh, you know, my high school team was fairly good as far as the high school teams around Vermont. Um, but what made us even better is um, we had a coach by the name of Red Gendron. Um, I don't know if you guys will know the name right off the hand, but Red's a very prominent coach in USA hockey, uh, just in general. Mm -hmm. Red's coached with uh, Utica. He's coached with the Devils. Um, mm -hmm. He passed away two years ago, unfortunately, but he was the head coach at the University of Maine at the time. Um, Red was a, a big influence in my career. And, um, you know, we remained friends ever since. But, um, you know, having him uh, as my high school coach, it, it meant a lot personally. And then obviously, uh, you know, hockey wise, uh, the things he did for me were, were amazing. Well, well when I was you think about 
when you think about uh, high school hockey, uh, like in the U.S., I mean, go no further than Minnesota. I mean, when they have a, a game there, they, they put 18,000 people in the rink when they're playing for the state championship. I mean, uh, you know, high school hockey is big in the U.S., it, it is in certain spots. Minnesota does it right. Minnesota doesn't allow them to have traveling teams and go outside and do all that stuff. Where when you get down here in like the Philadelphia, the New England area, they all have these AAA teams, these travel AAA teams. So these kids don't play high school hockey. They play for the AAA U18 team and things like that. And that's where you get the guys that are, you know, they're flying to San Jose one weekend. They're flying to Chicago the next weekend to play yeah. the tournament. Uh, these kids yeah. are all over the map. Um, and I'm kind of thankful that my, you know, years of development through there, um, that wasn't part of it. Um, it made, it, probably I didn't develop as quick as some of these kids are, but I loved hockey because I couldn't play as much. So every time I got on the ice, it meant something. Um, I've had a chance to coach my kids. It's been a few years, but they're playing tournaments every weekend. And it's kind of one of those yeah. things that, you know, when I was a kid, if we went away and got to stay in a hotel room playing a tournament, it was the biggest thing of the whole year. It didn't matter what it was. Yeah. You know, to be able to have an overnight trip and have a tournament, uh, it meant something because you weren't doing it, you know, every weekend. It was like once or twice a year. Um, so I think they take kind of some of that out of them. You know, they're kind of they're kind of numb to the to that aspect of it. I was going to ask you, uh, John, mm -hmm. when you um, started playing. You know, you're, you're, you said you were the only team in the area. So when you're playing at the Bellows Free Academy, was there a point through the, your career there and you, were, you know, your numbers are spectacular looking at your high school numbers that you started to realize you were separating yourself from the pack and there was a chance you're going to be able to advance in this game? I don't know about advance. When you're in high school, the thing you kind of wanted to do for me is I, I just I kind of jumped to playing college hockey. Um, yeah. And that was kind well, of that's like, you know, that was because, yeah, that was kind of what we were looking at. And um, I was fortunate enough, through having a, a guy like Red as my mentor, Red got my name out there to USA Hockey, and I was invited to the Select 17 camp. And I went there, and I had a chance for a lot of coaches that don't normally see me, uh, a chance to see me and, and uh, okay. write my name down, send me a letter, or just show some interest. Um, so my senior year in, college, in high school, um, I did have some – I had some inquiries about playing college hockey, and – um, I could have played, you know, I had quite a bit of opportunity to play college hockey, which was nice. Uh, but as far as playing pro hockey, um, you know, that was, it was a dream kind of thing still, you know, coming from Vermont, nobody's really done it. Most of the kids that ever, U.S. guys that did that were mostly guys from Massachusetts or Minnesota kind of thing. So you just didn't, didn't seem that logical, but uh, uh, it wasn't in my, my uh, sights, that's for sure. You know, the funny thing you mentioned was uh, going away on trips and staying in the hotels. So when I was playing, uh, we would go, we would billet with families on the other team. So the parents would all stay in the hotel and have fun. So I was looking forward to that when my two boys were playing. And the next thing you know, boom, no, we're all staying in the hotel. I'm going, oh, oh, this is not very good. Like, we're not, we're not alone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know. No. So that kind of sucked. But anyway, what are you going to do? <laughs> well, John, your draft year, you were still in high school, and you came out a pretty highly recruited or you know wanted player from college standpoint. The NHL draft, Montreal Canadiens, there's the team you grew up watching, even though you didn't want to watch them because they're so close. <laughs> 
when did you get any sort of inkling that you were going to possibly be drafted or did you have any clue you were going to be drafted? Um, I had an idea I was going to get drafted probably about two months before in that area. Um, I had a couple teams come and interview me. So, uh, you know, just talking to my mom and dad, like if they had the, if they're going to travel all the way to, you know, Vermont to come sit down and have a lunch or breakfast with you. Um, didn't think they were wasting their time or maybe they were, I don't know, you know, back then it was a big deal. So I was like, this is awesome. Um, but I, I thought that I would probably be drafted. Did I think I'd be in the second round? No, I had no idea where I was going to go, but, um, I did have an idea I would probably be drafted. And that was back then is like, now these kids have agents and whatever at 13, 14, I didn't have an agent when I got drafted. I didn't get an agent until I was, uh, right before I signed my contract, I signed an agent contract like 10 minutes before. So even all through college, I didn't have an agent either. Uh, you know, like these kids have advisors. They're telling them, you know, you're on the board. You're going to go here and there and that stuff. Um, you know, it was oblivious. And like I said, sometimes ignorance is bliss. I think it, it took a lot of pressure off um, and it made life a lot more simple. Now, yeah, when Montreal well, did select you, who called you and spoke to you about uh, coming to the Canadians? Um, I got a call from um, Mimi, which is Serge's secretary, um, saying that they picked me in the second round, that, uh, you know, they'll be in contact after and just welcome to the Canadians and stuff like that. Um, and then I think maybe a week later or something like that, they invited me up just to introduce themselves and stuff like that. It was an easy trip. They knew I was close by kind of thing. So we just, we popped in and just said hello. They were gracious and just, um, just kind of meet there was nothing said nothing whatever they knew i was going to go to college so away i went now squid so, do you want to ask him the interview you. question or should i oh go ahead no i was going to say well we ask all the guys before the draft to come on some of the interview questions you get any that stand out to you, some great we've heard some dandies on the show oh, from guys yeah, but any yeah. no I didn't, I didn't get that i didn't go to the combine or do any uh, like i didn't even go to the draft I was graduating from high school the next day of the draft, so I didn't even go out to Detroit for the draft. Um, so I didn't, I didn't get a chance to sit down and, and go through that gauntlet. And that's why kind of one of the reasons I didn't think I was probably even a, a second round or third round guy. Because I think back then there might have been, been something crazy like 12 rounds too when I got drafted. Yeah. Um, there was a lot more rounds than there was now too, so there was a lot more players involved. So you, you played for the U.S. in the World Juniors twice, but back then they didn't have a U.S. development program, did they? No. No, they were picking okay. guys out of college, basically, is what they were doing. And that like that Select 17 team I went to, um, that camp, they kind of used that as a I don't know, trial, whatever you want, just to get a filter of, of who's coming, who's, who's there, and where people are. Yeah, because my, my son actually ended up playing at the U.S. program in Ann Arbor. Um, he was okay, born nice. in Buffalo, so he was a dual citizen. And uh, it was funny, though. He, you know, he, he's pretty smart. He, he got drafted by Sudbury, and Mike Foligno was a coach who I played with in Buffalo. We go up there for the press conference, the whole bit. We're driving home. He says, Dad, do you think I'm a great player? And I go, well, what do you mean? He goes, like an impact player, like a Tavares or someone like that who we played with on the, the Marlies. And, and I said, no, I don't think you are. I said, I think you're a real good player. And he goes, okay. And I said, okay, what? He says, well, 
He says, if I'm, if I'm just a good player, he said, I may not play much or at all as a 60-year-old, so I'm going to go to the U.S. program. <laughs> I'm sitting beside him in the car, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, great, he's going to go to school. I like this. I like this <laughs> the way he's talking. Right. No, but that's... Yeah, so he ended up getting... He gets it, going though. to he Miami, Ohio, and yeah. four years there, and... Uh, he had a real good time. He graduated, and you know, I think it was the best thing for him. Yeah, I, it's a wise choice, and, and you get it's great that he was mature enough at that age to be like, you know what, this is the best route for me. I mean, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter. Like, I'm at 16 now, 18, I might be better in Tavares, and I'll make a better decision then. But right now, this is where I am, and that's my decision. And, I mean, that was great, and. Obviously, my son went to Miami, Ohio, also, and uh, he came pick a better campus. Oh, did he? I enjoyed it. Yeah, he's a Red Hawk. My, uh, my youngest one went there. <laughs> what a great that campus John's it is! And uh, beautiful spot. It's middle of nowhere, but it's a beautiful spot. Oh yeah, now, yeah. Now, John, talk about you going to your first camp uh, with the Canadians and how that all unfolded. What going in as as a rookie, what were your expectations going to camp or had they laid it out that what the possibilities were for you? My first camp was a little different because my senior of college, uh, after our last game, I signed with Montreal and I signed a one-way deal and I went right to Montreal and played the last 10 games of the season. So the fall after the summer, come next fall, the camp starts. Um, I go to rookie camp just like every other rookie and things like that, but yeah. Uh, you know, I'm the only one really with NHL experience sitting in the rookie camp yeah. and doing all that stuff. Um, and then when we get to the main camp, um, you know, I, I got a couple of preseason games right away and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I, I was able to make the team again and go from there. But uh, the first rookie camp, it was a, it was an eye opening. I couldn't believe the number of like we had like four teams. And I'm thinking this is even the main camp and we got four teams. Like, <laughs> There's a ton of players here. There was like so many guys, and I mean, they're all good players. You know, they're they're good enough to be invited to camp. They're they're decent players too. It's like there was a lot of just kind of my eyes. There's, there's a ton of really good hockey players out there. Okay, so I got a I got a good question for you, and I want to know when it started, how it started, or was there anything to it? Blowing bubbles with your bubble gum all the time. <laughs> It's just a nervous habit I got. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just I blow bubbles when I have gum in my mouth. It's bad enough I have gum in my mouth. I probably have it. I do right now too. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a bad habit. And um, it was only a warm up thing. I don't think I chewed the gum during the game. It was during warm ups. <laughs> there you go. That's a pretty good one, though. <laughs> that's good you blew some good bubbles <laughs> yeah well i had 900 games plus whatever i got i had some practice you had some practice yes we can see yeah. that now uh, john um so cup years with montreal in 1993 the stanley cup year talk to us about that and a couple I mean, more yeah it, it was just a great year um you know it started off with um we uh we started the season in in london uh, we played Chicago two games in London over there to start the season. And um, Jacques Demers, it was his first year uh, coach. He took over for uh, Pat Burns. 
and we made a couple trades for some popular guys. We traded uh, Shane Corson for Vincent Danfus, and then we traded Russ Cordnell for uh, Brian Bellows. Um, you know, not that they're bad players and we got better players or whatever, but the chemistry seemed to work. And, um, you know, we had a decent year. We didn't, we weren't great. We weren't, but we had a good year. And, um, you know, come playoff time, uh, we lost our first two games to Quebec at home. And then something snapped in Patty and the rest of the team. And uh, we just, we went on a run and we beat uh, Quebec the next four. We beat um, Buffalo in four. Uh, we beat the Islanders in five and we turned around and beat the LA in five in the finals. So um, it was one of those things, uh, you know, the chemistry, uh, timing's everything. And we just, our chemistry and just, it, it clicked at the right time and it was playoff time. Well, there was a high stick call against uh, <laughs> a guy, number 99, that was not called against Toronto. He would have been the Toronto Montreal final that year of 93. <laughs> well, we were watching closely. We know we had a ton of guys from Ontario that were like, this could be the best thing in the world or the worst thing in the world to happen if we played the Leafs in the finals. Um, to me, I think it would have been awesome. I mean, you know, to, to have Montreal, Toronto in the cup finals after so long would have been, would have been fun. But as long as it turned out the way it turned out, that's the only reason. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously that's the most important. Now, one other thing while we're talking of 99, what about Marty McSorley and the, uh, the this illegal mm. stick call? Yeah, I mean, Squid, you know, guys play with illegal sticks all the time. And guys knew who had the legal sticks and who didn't. Like, it wasn't a secret around the league who played with the legal stick or not. And I don't know how it worked on other teams, but on our team, you had an X on, your, on one stick that wasn't illegal at if that's what you did, I didn't play with legal sticks, so it didn't bother me. But I know guys on our team that did, and they'd have a stick with five minutes left. We're in a tight game. They tell the trainer, "Go get me the stick with the X." He's out there. He plays with legal sticks, so it doesn't happen. Um, but all this stuff about you know the trainers and the players yeah. are over in their locker room and all this stuff. I don't know anything about that. I highly think it's true. I don't think it's true at all. Um, I just think it was just kind of common knowledge. We all kind of knew. I mean. It, did you see Marty stick too when they when they measured it? It wasn't yeah, close. He, he was still this far away it was, after that. Yeah, was, so it wasn't like you know it didn't take a genius to figure out he's playing with illegal stick. It really wasn't. No. So like all this, I, you know, what, you're absolutely you're, you're absolutely right, John. Like everybody in the league knew who was using an illegal stick, who wasn't, and guys had extra or ones that were legal that they would pull out if they needed them in the last minute of a game or something, if they were up by a goal so that they wouldn't get called. And uh, now I never used an illegal stick, so I didn't have to worry about it either. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, now that, that, that's sour grapes to me. Uh, you know, when they start saying, they're trying to say like, oh, the trainer was in our room and all that. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Now, speaking of which, Montreal, now this may be an unfair question for you because of where you live and your proximity to Montreal, but once you put that jersey over your head and started wearing it full time, what the expectation of you going in there to play for that hockey club, was it as you thought it would be more or just like any other team? No, I, I mean, to me... The first time I, I came to Montreal and I walked in that locker room uh, after they signed me, 
um, just being in the Montreal Forum with all the history and then being in that locker room, yep. uh, it, it changes you. It just, there's something about it. And I mean, I'm sure the Leaf, you know, if you're a Leaf legend, you go into the Leafs locker room and playing in, in you know, the garden. Um, there's something about those buildings that just, it really yeah. does change you a little bit. And, uh, you know, I was on board 100% and um, really proud to have been a Montreal Canadian. Real proud that we, uh, you know, had a one Stanley Cup there too. Well, well I, had a, I had a really good experience, John. Uh, the World Juniors in 77, 78, I believe, was the first year they picked an all-star team. And we dressed in Montreal's weight room. They took the weights out and put stalls okay. in. Yeah. I mean, we're showering in their showers. We're walking around the room, seeing all the plaques and everything. And it's like, you know, when you're 18 years old, it's kind of, and then we get to watch some practice almost every day. So, I mean, it was incredible. And that was when they had, you know, some of the best teams ever in the seventies. And, and, and it was fun to watch them, but I mean, just the, and going in there looking at their weight chart and everything, they didn't have a defenseman under 220 pounds, for God's sakes. I mean, that, that's how good they were. Right. <laughs> well, and it was just the, the – so the whole aura of playing for the Montreal Canadiens wearing that jersey, we've had a number of Toronto players on who ended up playing for both cities, and it's just nothing like being a Montreal Canadian. I mean, Dan Daou, when he was when he left Montreal, he wasn't even playing regular, and the team took him out for dinner after he'd been traded to Toronto. And it was all the veterans who took him out, not the rookies, all the vets. And they made sure he left on a good note. And Russ Courtney yeah. told us a story. I mean, we've told this one a few times on the show, but it just speaks volumes to the Montreal passion of the fans. Is when Brian Herwood, I don't know if you ever heard this story, was having dinner in old Montreal one night with his wife and Mick Jagger was sitting next to him. And the chef came running out of the back and right up to Brian Hayward's table and asked for his autograph and went by Mick and didn't ask him. And Mick Jagger... <laughs> And Mick Jagger leaned over and said, who, who are you? Excuse me, who, who are you? And he told him, and he said, I've been all around the world, and that's the first time that's ever, ever happened to me. And he ended up buying their dinner. And this was a backup goalie, the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, that's that's great. And it's just, they are. They're great fans like that. They, they just really are. And um, just everything about it. When I went to Montreal, like, and it's nothing against Philly or Pittsburgh, the other organization to play with, but, Montreal just does everything with a little bit of class and a little, just, just a little bit yeah. more extra on everything. Um, and it's just those little touches that um, makes it, makes it special to be a, a hat. It really does. Yep. Yeah. They, they do things right. I guess is probably the best way to yeah. uh, describe that see, organization. That word comes to mind. They do it right. But, you know, Philly did it right too. I thought Philly, you know, they do things, they just do it differently. They're right. It doesn't yeah. mean it's wrong, but um, but Montreal, like you said, does things right. It just they put the finishing touches on everything. They really do. Well, yeah. The other one we always talk to everybody about is those those three words that are dreaded in every player's uh, vocabulary, and it's not "it's your round." You've been traded. Talk yeah. about that day and what how that kind of all unfolded. Did you have any idea? Um. I had an idea there's I mean, we all knew something was going on. I didn't think it was me, but it you know, it was one of those, like, we heard other names more prominent, but um, everybody was out available. So, you know, I wasn't completely shocked, um, but I was, I was a little bit surprised to get the call in the morning. 
Um, we just played back-to-backs, and we finished up in Ottawa, and we got home that night. And next morning, I get a call from Demers at, uh, like, 9 in the morning. says, uh, Johnny, I need you to come see me in my office. Um, and it's 9. We just got back, and then I was like, you know, Jacques, what is it? Like, once he called me, and it was him at 9 in the morning, you know, he wasn't calling to see how I slept last night. You know, I knew something. <laughs> so I just like, you know, Jacques, what is it? And he's like, well, Serge is going to be calling you and, uh, you know, just want to let you know you've been traded to Philadelphia. I said, all right, Jacques, thanks. Uh, I'll be in to see you guys. And um, I just, I'm going to make some phone calls. And he's like, yeah, yeah, do what you got to do. Uh, he goes, but Serge will give you a call and Jacques will give you a call. Or uh, Clarky will give you a call and uh, we'll work everything out. And he said, thank you. And that was about it. Well, and then the call from Bobby Clark, what was the words coming from him? Like what did yeah. they expect from John Clare going to Philadelphia or did they? Well, when I talked to Clarkie, I was playing a little bit of left wing and center at the time. So when Clarkie called, I kind of, I just like, you know, where do you envision me playing? You would see him on the left. Do you want me to play in the middle or what are you, what are you looking for? And he's like, well, right now we see you playing left wing with Eric. And I'm like, Sounds good to me. You know, I'm not gonna, <laughs> you know, not gonna say much more. Yeah, I would imagine that. that that would sound pretty good. <laughs> but, uh, that works so far. So far, things are off to a good start. Um, and then you know they played that night. I, when I got the call at nine in the morning. They played that night. We played Florida in, in Philly, and um, Gilbert and uh, Eric Desjardins. We the three of us. We got on a plane. We were down there by probably one, two o'clock in the afternoon, and they took us right to the rink gave us equipment and all that kind of, you know, just all that stuff. Yep. And we played that. Uh, all three of us played that night. We, we didn't, it was kind of a boring, nothing game. We actually lost four, nothing. Um, and then had a chance to let it all soak in and take a breath and like, let it hit you. They actually got traded, um, you know, the next two days off. And then we played again on Saturday and, um, you know, things kind of took off from there. Well, yeah, it's always it, it's never fun being traded. I know that, but it, you know, I mean, I know everybody says, "Well, the other team really wanted me," and I always look at it differently. But I mean, I remember getting traded the day after Christmas from Chicago to Buffalo, and I was I was supposed to play that night in Buffalo, but there was a snowstorm and I didn't make it on time. And then I didn't see my family until February fourth. And that was the toughest part is being traded. And my wife is there. She's pregnant. We got a two-year-old. She's got to get the realtor, the movers. She's got to do everything herself. And I'm in Buffalo getting, buying a house, renting a place because the house wasn't going to be ready. It was like, it was crazy back then. Now it's so, so much simpler to have people that do everything for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's logistically, it's a mess. It can be. Yeah. You know, I was fortunate. You know, my wife, it was just my wife and I, but kind of like you, Ricky, though, she took care of everything. I mean, I'm sitting in a hotel room playing hockey, doing nothing. She's, you know, doing everything. Um, but it, it is no fun to get traded. And they can say, well, the other team, why and this, that. But um, for me, especially your first trade, um, you know, that's where you, that's all you know. And that's what you love about the NHL is, being part of this organization, you want a Stanley Cup there. Um, it's basically home for me. Um, it was, it was disappointing. It was, but um, I think if I went somewhere and we lost and things went to hell, it would have been devastating. But when I went to Philly, 
uh, we had a really good year that year. Um, things were successful. Personally, I, I played the best I ever did playing down there. So it made the trade a, a lot easier to, to swallow. So you're, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you went, you, you had three 50 goal seasons in a row. That's not yeah. too shabby. So think, things must have went pretty good, I would think. They did. But like team wise, too, we were in the hunt. Um, first year there, we went to the conference finals. I really thought we should have won the cup that year. I think we had the team. I think we would have beat Detroit also instead of Jersey beating them that year. Detroit wasn't ready. Of course, we get Detroit two years later uh, with the start of their dynasty. They destroy us, they destroyed everybody for those two years. Um, and, you know, and then we had some other opportunities later on in 2000 and 2004 that I thought we had really good teams. I thought we were on a roll. We had the, we had, we had the right chemistry going. I thought we should have won a cup. So not winning a cup in, in, in Philly, it's very disappointing because we had some really great players and great teams there that uh, in this town, town, uh, Philly would have been a great place to win a cup also. I would have liked to see, uh, see what it would have been like. Well, talk about the comparative between the, the fans in Philly and Montreal. Similar in a way, wouldn't you say? Like the passion, maybe just a little over top in Philly at times, though? Yeah, absolutely. The passion's the same. It's the directions that's a little different. <laughs> you know, in Montreal, you know, Montreal, there's a little bit more educated. Like, you know, they're asking – you know, they see on the street they're talking about the power play percentage and like things like that you know in philly they're like you know you let that guy hit you why don't you go back and beat the hell out of him and stuff like that <laughs> not, not, not caring that it's a, a tie game or things like that um but they love their team and this the thing with montreal that you got to win and working hard is not good enough here in philly they want to see effort if you give but you got to give 110 you can't just give 100 percent you got to give everything. But if you're out there giving everything, this town will love you. Now, the chemistry with you, Renberg, and uh, Lindros. When did you, was there a moment, a game, a time, a moment, whatever, a goal that you said, this is it? Like, I've, I've found a spot here that's going to work. Because, you know, it's easy to say go and play with the superstar. But for tall work, a lot of things have to go right. Yeah, I mean, just because two great players play together doesn't make it going to be great, you know. Um, That's right. But but uh, for us, the, that first game, I told you, we got traded that, that first game against Florida. It was a nothing. You couldn't tell. I mean, it was one of those things. Who knows? Um, but when we played the next um, the Saturday against uh, the Devils, uh, we were together again, and things were clicking. And it just – it was like – you kind of after the game was over, we kind of looked around like, I don't know, just felt like there's something here. And then it just kept building. Um, and I think the biggest reason why it, it kind of built is, uh, you know, when you play with a, a talent like Eric, you find out why he's so good. He practices harder than anybody. He demands a lot out of everybody. So when we were, every time we were on, on the ice playing a game, we were working just as hard in practice as a line together too. And uh, a lot of that came from Eric. Eric would push Rennie and I, and you know Rennie and I would push Eric also. You know we'd get on him too, and and uh, you know wasn't afraid to say like, hey, come on, you got to play better and stuff like that to whoever. The three of us got along that well together. Um, but the way we practice and the like, I think the the bar we set to practice at helped us progress much faster. Mm -hmm. So you guys obviously were three great players. Uh, but 
I would have, uh, and maybe I'm, I'm totally wrong, but the three of you are also very big, <laughs> big and strong. Did that help your line at all? Like, did that make you guys that much better? I, I think it absolutely helped. I mean, you know, the game's changed. Back then, you needed, like, if you weren't, you know, at least 5'11 or so, you better be very quick because you could grab people. And I mean, you know, the rules have changed a lot. Like, if you weren't yeah. big and strong, a defenseman would just grab you or put a stick in your belly and you were done. That was the end of it. So I think it helped. I mean, you know, I think I might have been not height-wise. I was the shortest guy in the line. Um, I weighed probably 10 more pounds than Michael, though. Um, but we were all good size. And, uh, yeah, that was a big part of it. Um, you know, one of our big keys was, you know, we, got the, we didn't have the puck. We we're going to go get it. And, you know, you need your body to separate the guy or whatever you're going to do. But um, it, it was a big part of our game was the size and strength of our line. Well, the thing about it, I think, is one of the things about Lindros when he was coming up through the, the minor league ranks and junior ranks was the, the distinguishing feature he had was here is a big man playing against most guys smaller than him, but he played like they're all his size. And if you were 5'8 or six foot two, he'd still run you through the boards and not even give it a thought. And that was, if you guys think back, that was really uncommon for big guys back then to play like that because they could just go through guys, whereas he went through them on purpose. And so that would just give you guys then the size you had. And then Renberg, Legion of Doom, I don't know where that name came from, who gave it to you, but I'll tell you, you wouldn't want to be playing against them. Yeah, I mean, no. if, if he's coming down on you, you're going to know it. Um, <laughs> so the Legion of Doom, uh, that, got, that name came from uh, Jimmy Montgomery, coach of the Boston Bruins. Jimmy played here in Philly with us for a little bit, and uh, Jimmy's always got something to say. And uh, he was talking to reporters, and he shouted that one out, and that's that's what stuck. So that, that's how it came. Um, and if you ask him about it, he's still – ask him if he's gotten paid for it, if you ever get him on. Because he'll complain. <laughs> he complained that uh, all this stuff. But I don't know who's getting paid for that name because I'm not, or, and I don't think he is or any is. But uh, Jimmy Shore is uh, – he, he wants everybody to know he's – he penned that nickname for us. He's got the patent on it, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> he's, he's the guy. That's where it came from. But uh, now, the thing talking about like the smaller guys and stuff, that's what made E so good is because he could stick handle and skate and shoot just like those small crafty guys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But he was five yeah. in 240. And like you said, he could go around you because he was that skilled and talented. But He's mean, and he chose not to, and he'd run over guys, and that way they want to yeah. come back. Well, now, now speaking of him, um, you guys obviously became good friends on and off the ice. When he was going through his troubles with management, were you? How was that sort of affecting the team? I mean, because it started to become quite, quite prominent in the news, and it was centering, it was mm -hmm. centering around the Flyers all the time, and the, the feud was getting pretty escalated. It, it did. I mean. It didn't affect the guys as much as everybody would think, though. I mean, we had a pretty mature group. We had some real good leaders on our team. Um, you know, E's thing was Eric's thing with, with what's going on with stuff like that. And when Eric came to play, Eric came to play. And that was all we needed. And what he's doing on the, you know, that stuff. Um, and most of us stayed out of it. It's none of our business. You know, he asked about it. You just, you know what, they'll work it out. It's between the both of them. Um, you know, and looking back on them, you know, 
could have each side handled it better? Probably. I mean, but it's over with and, um, you know, there's nothing to do about it now. Well, Squid, you, you went through yeah. similar only from the owner. <laughs> well, you know what, as John said, I mean, back then the game was much different. The owners were much different. The people running the organizations were, were different. They handled things differently. Um, you just, again, I, I, I think John is right on when you just got to go out and, and make sure that you're ready to play. You can't get involved in every little thing that happens with the, the guys on your team and the owner or the GM or whoever. You just had to kind of take it upon yourself to be ready. I mean, you couldn't get involved in that shit. It was, uh, you know, it wasn't your business and uh, your business was to go out and perform every night. And that's what you had to make sure that you were ready to do. Now, John, for you, when it was sort of coming near the end in Philly, did you know the end was near and that you and then you moved on to Pittsburgh? And how, how was your relationship with management by that time? Are you starting to be a little frustrated that things just weren't starting to work out for you guys? We're in Philly. Yeah, I wasn't really. I wasn't frustrated with manager that we hadn't won or anything like that. Because I read, what ended me here in Philly was the lockout. We missed that whole year, and then they had the salary cap, and I was making too much money. And they got like I think they have like you could cut three contracts, and I mean there was no secret. I once once we had the lockout, I knew I was done here just because of my contract and everything like that. Um, but my relationship with Clarky was was fine. I still. Me and Clarky still get along fine. I have no issue with Clarky whatsoever. I mean, if I was him, I would have cut me too. I just, it, it was common sense. Um, so there's no real hard feelings about leaving Philly or anything like that. Um, I'm personally disappointed we never won a cup here, but that's that's on me. That's not on anybody else. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just that, I mean, there was a lot of frustration from fans and people like when, the, you know, the goaltending situation wasn't quite where it should have been to win the Stanley Cup in Philly. And, you know, there's obviously Clark being accused of being very stubborn in that regard. But, you know, that's an, that's another issue, I guess, all in itself. But the players, once again, you know, were you guys fully confident in the way they were running the team and those days when all that stuff was turning around you guys? The white noise, I guess you could call it. It is. But, I mean, I'm a genius on hindsight. I mean, everybody's a genius <laughs> in hindsight, you know. Um if you look at what Philadelphia did at every trade deadline, they went out and tried to grab the best player they could to make the team better for them. Not once did you ever hear them saying, you know what, we're not gonna we're not gonna trade for that guy because um, you know, Mr. Schneider doesn't want to spend the money or we don't want to add a contract like that to our team. Never heard that out of the Flyers before yeah. the salary cap. Never. They do whatever they could to make the team better. Could they evaluate a goaltending better? Who knows? Um, you know. Brian Boucher took us to a conference finals. I mean, you know, when we went in 04, uh, we went in 2000 to the conference finals and lost in seven to Jersey. We were better than they were that year. We should have won. We were up 3-1. And I think we would have beat Dallas in the finals too. Uh, we we had it going. We had some decent goaltending. You know, just we had some untimely goals, that's for sure. And could have been stronger. I mean, yeah, but like – who doesn't want to have a Martin Brodeur as a career goaltender and stuff like that? I mean, they're just, yeah. they're not all out there. You know what I'm saying? Um, so it, I, it's hard to say stuff because like the, the guys that played net, they were like, everybody's like comes down on pretty hard. They weren't terrible goaltenders. They weren't, 
And not always were they the reason we lost, but like anybody knows, playoff hockey comes down to one player and it's unfortunate, but it does. It comes down to one guy. Yep. Squid. Well, you yourself, I mean, you played 154 playoff games. You, what, 89 points, uh, 40 some odd goals. I mean, obviously you're, you, when it came playoff time, you were ready to play. I love the playoffs. I mean, you must have too. It's just, it's a different, oh, yeah. it's a different atmosphere going to the rink. It's just everything about it. Um, it's just, it's a lot of fun. It, it just is. It's, it's fun. It's intense. Um, and it's a time where you really um, just, you want to, you want to, you want to be at your best. Um, so it just, it'd been nice to win a cup here in Philly. That's all I'm saying. Just because we had some really great teams. Um, but I feel, don't get me wrong, I'm very fortunate that we won in Montreal. And um, maybe it's because I miss that feeling so much. I wish I could have done it again. Yeah. Well, we, we've... I never had that opportunity, but I remember uh, the one year we finished about almost 40 points behind Chicago in our division. And so a lot of the season ticket holders didn't buy their playoff tickets. So the regular fans, the real fans, bought all the tickets. So we go into Chicago, best of five, beat them two there, come home. We're beating them at home. They're throwing brooms on the ice. Or, I mean, we're all looking around going, what the heck is going on here? Like, th this is completely different than what it usually is in the gardens. And so we ended up winning, and then we lost, uh, I think, in the second round, we lost to Detroit that year, I think, uh, in game seven. And uh, so that was a little disappointing that we didn't get by the second round, but Playoffs were, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, it was a different animal, but boy, I'll tell you, was it exciting. I mean, yeah. you can't get any better in playoff hockey. No. Now, no. now, speaking of which, John, now we've had players tell us time and time again that not only going into the rink, and Squid's got a few stories on that, but going into playing Philadelphia, now the spe spectrum it was at the time, um, players have a whole different mindset going in to play those guys. And I'm sure the ghosts of, you know, Moose DuPont and Dave Schultz and Clark and Barber and all that in the Freddie Shera era when it was, they were just the, you know, the mayhem of the NHL. Did you, when you put that sweater on and started playing for those guys, did you feel, did you feel that change in your body and what your approach, you're a big guy, so you wouldn't maybe be the same as some other guy, but Guys would play a foot taller, let's put it that way, and they put that sweater on and playing at home. Did you guys feel that and know, sense this from other teams were a little bit intimidated? See, I don't know if I felt that, but, like, looking back at it, I think certain guys do. You just feel a little bit a little bit more comfortable than you do at some other places, you know. Um, I know one thing Mr. Schneider really wanted is Philly's not getting pushed around. And one thing my years here is we didn't always have the toughest team, but we also we always had somebody that can take care of business if we needed something on on our team, and we always had other guys too that were not fighters but were tough enough to take care of themselves and and do that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. So, um, never never really felt scared in the game playing here. That's for sure. Um, just because um, I don't know like the reputation and stuff like that, but um, it's just. The fans, everything about it, it, it the reputation. Uh, I think it does it does do a little bit to some of the guys for sure. Well, I'll tell you how, how big it is. 
it was uh, one year where we're out of the playoffs. We're not making the playoffs. And Harold Ballard, our last game of the year is in Philadelphia. Okay. He decides we're going to go to uh, the casino in uh, Jersey there. Yeah. And uh, leading up to the game for a couple of weeks, about eight or nine guys went down with groin injuries, little back injuries and stuff. So, but they were all on <laughs> the trip flu? to, to Philly. So they were all on the trip, right? And uh, we get blown out seven-one. I think we had, I think we had eleven shots on goal, and the only one I scored, I think, it was from just inside the blue line. It was, <laughs> it was probably the the closest shot we had the whole game. And there's eight guys in the press box sitting up there. They can't wait to go to the casino. <laughs> but I always thought, like, what is our owner? taking us to a casino after the final game when we're not making the playoffs. That was my thought. Like, we don't deserve yeah. this, you know, but that was her. Maybe Harold wanted to go and figured, well, I may as well take everybody with me. So, you know, that's what happened. <laughs> that's probably more along the lines of it. It's got to be the lines because it's tough to reward a team not making the playoffs. Hey, we're going to go for a trip here. Yeah, that well, was uh, – that was uh, one of the times where I totally disagreed with him. I told him uh, that I didn't think it was the right thing, and he said, well, we're going. And I said, okay, well, whatever. I can't argue with the owner. Right. He's paying. He's paying, so I'll let him pay. Well, yeah. John, we can't thank you enough for uh, any fight. By the way, before we let John go, we want to thank you for your time today and enlighten us on your career, wonderful career you had. Uh, Stanley Cup winner and uh, the Legion of Doom line boy. So you've got some legacy leaving leaving behind, and just yeah. just can't thank you enough for joining us today. I appreciate it, guys. Anytime, Squid. It's always good seeing you on the road. So hopefully, I run into you soon. Mike, it's nice meeting you. Huh? Yeah. Good luck with your podcast, guys. Okay, I great. You have to come down and uh, watch uh, one of your team play the three ice. Three, Get your guys watching three, three ice. Everybody in the podcast. Three ice is Sunday. This summer, Wednesday nights. I do. Right. You want to, I'm going to watch for sure. Definitely. Absolutely. Good deal. Thanks, God.